You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. This is your host, Donna Haleson. Our guest this episode is Dr. Ray Dishinger, a veterinarian with the Alamo Dog and Cat Hospital of San Antonio, Texas. Jean and I met Ray when we were visiting that city and looking for an answer to why Mac had begun coughing, wheezing, and gagging. Her diagnosis, kennel cough. This response knocked us off our feet as we and our veterinarian in Pennsylvania had been so careful to make certain the dogs were up to date on all of their vaccinations before we ever hit the road. What we learned from Ray is that just as there are many strains of flu that can be contracted by human beings, there are many strains of kennel cough that can be contracted by dogs. And you can't vaccinate against them all. Ray prescribed a regimen of treatment and Mac and Molly, who also picked up the kennel cough, were back to their usual loony selves within just a couple of weeks. But while we were in Ray's office, we also spotted a notice encouraging pet parents to have their dogs inoculated against rattlesnake vaccine. The vaccine is not a cure, Ray told us. Its purpose is, in the event of a bite, to buy time to slow the spread of venom so that the pet can reach veterinary help. I was just so pleased and so grateful to Ray for the treatment that she gave to our Mac and Molly that I invited her to join us today to talk about potential perils for pets in the southwestern region of the United States. She'll be joining us when we return from these messages. So please, sit, stay. We'll be right back. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Buster, you're telling me my dog food products can't go on your shelves? That's right. Didn't pass one of my Petco certified nutrition checklists. Sorry, Wayne. Who made these checklists? Geniuses. Very smart guys. Well, it's good enough for most grocery stores. Do you see cheese puffs on my shelves? Mayonnaise? Soda pop? No. That's because I ain't running no grocery store, Wayne. Your pets will get better nutrition, I guarantee it. Petco, where healthy pets go. Enter the code LUCKY10. L-U-C-K-Y, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. I play tennis because I love to. But inside, I want to win. Take away the court, the net. I might not be a player, but I'll always be a competitor. Lady Foot Locker understands that. Lady Foot Locker. The first to carry Adidas off-court shoes and the gear that goes with them. If you play your best, there's no regret. Lady Foot Locker. One place, every woman. Go to LadyFootLocker.com and enter the code AFMAC1LF to get 10% off any order of $50 or more. Or enter the code AFMOL2LF to get 15% off any order of $75 or more at LadyFootLocker.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called InfoSeeds. InfoSeeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. Is the best, most cost-effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. 
For more information, visit the website. PetLifeRadio.com Click on sponsorship information. There you can listen to a sample of InvoSeed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Pets can be a wonderful addition to your life because they're a member of the family. Keeping them healthy and happy is important. Pet Life Radio presents The Pet Doctor with veterinary media consultant and veterinarian Dr. Bernadine Cruz. Whether you have a dog, cat, reptile, or rabbit, you'll find answers for your pets straight from the vets. The Pet Doctor, on demand every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Pets Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. This is your host, Donna Haleson. And today we launch into our second episode of a multi-part series entitled Threats to Pets. With us this time is Dr. Ray Dishinger, a veterinarian with the Alamo Dog and Cat Hospital in San Antonio, Texas. Welcome, Ray, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I have asked Ray if she would uh, review for us some of the potential perils that pets and pet parents might face if they live in or are planning to visit the southwestern region of the United States. I might note that I met Ray when Jean and I were in Texas a few months ago. Mac was evidencing signs of a respiratory illness, and the dear doctor made the diagnosis of kennel cough. Soon after, we saw the same symptoms arising in Molly. Ray prescribed an antibiotic for them, and after completing the course of treatment, M&M were back to their usual lunatic selves. Well, I noted in the introduction that as Jean and I have been traveling about the country, we've been struck by the variety of hazards for which we need to be on the alert. These include everything from changes in climate and food and water to infectious diseases, to parasites, external and internal, insects, wildlife, plants, toxins, poisons, and even as Dr. Sharon Gwaltney Brandt noted in the first episode, the occasional marijuana joint that some careless someone may have tossed on the ground at a rest area. So, Ray, let's, if you will, just go down our list. Since we met over an infectious disease, perhaps we might begin there and so begin with kennel cough. What is it that we need to know about kennel cough? How is it contracted? And is there anything that we can do to fully guard against it? Well, I mean, certainly vaccinating everybody, you know, well, everybody, every, uh, you know, dog who's going to be in contact with other dogs is helpful. There are different strains of it. Kennel cough is actually not just one particular bacteria or virus. Kennel cough is a, a, a collection of bacteria and a collection of viruses that cause mm-hmm kind of a trademark harsh tracheal cough that everybody is, well, I think everybody has heard. And, um, yes, the, the um, injections are helpful as far as the prevention, but um, you can still have animals get sick with that. And so you are going to want to just be careful in, in having them in contact with any, um, well, any pets that you are not familiar with. One of the things I think that surprised me in this was that uh, you couldn't really 
completely vaccinate against kennel cough because there are so many different strains of it. As uh, Jean and I got on the road with our dogs to travel about the country, we had assumed that we were protected and then discovered as we came to see you that day that in fact that was not the case. How is kennel cough treated and is there anything that we can do to protect our dogs from contracting this? Well, the vaccine is is helpful. It's kind of like getting a flu shot, though. You know that when you get a flu shot, it doesn't protect you against every strain of the of the flu virus, but it is helpful against some strains. And so, we certainly don't recommend people not vaccinate for kennel cough. As far as how is it treated, typically kennel cough is a very self-limiting infection, meaning that it will heal on its own, but there is a small percentage of the population that can develop pneumonia to contract kennel cough. And so we do recommend that they take antibiotics and a cough suppressant if, you know, to keep everybody calm. What other infectious diseases are particularly showing up in your part of the country? Well, honestly, in our part, you know, basically the south side of San Antonio, we are seeing parvo right now, which is terrible because I don't, I mean, a lot of people believe that parvo is no longer seen distemper. And so we are seeing both parvo and distemper, and these are diseases that are vaccinated against. We still see them. So your recommendation is just simply to make certain that our dogs are up to date on their vaccinations. Yes? Absolutely, yes. Uh, we will see animals that are, you know, someone maybe gets one puppy shot and assume that they're done, or someone gets one and then another a few months later. But people need to make sure that if they're going to bring their bring their dogs down in this area of the country, that they are very up-to-date because the vaccines for parvo and distemper are very effective. I mean, we almost never see an animal who's been fully vaccinated appropriately All right, well, let's move on to questions about climate, and especially in your region, heat and humidity. I understand Uh this has been a serious problem for dogs, maybe who are coming from uh, milder climates, especially breeds like bulldogs, Boston's, who tend to be quite intolerant of heat. So what should we be concerned about relative to climate? Well, it is a lot more, uh, well, it's a lot hotter, and it is a lot more humid in this area of the country. Um, and that's the same thing that people will notice. You'll hear about people in the, uh, well, in the eastern part of the country, human beings who are hot when it's 85 degrees outside. Well, right now it's over 100, and uh, that's just early June. So it tends to be very, very hot and very, very humid down here. And if people and animals are not familiar with that, that's quite a culture shock, basically. And so making sure that you know, especially breeds that don't cool themselves efficiently, especially those breeds are very cool during the heat of the day, is going to be, well, a lifesaver, basically. Now, what about parasites? Or perhaps we could even just stay on climate. Is there anything else about climate that you'd want to mention? And, and if not, perhaps we could just move on to, to parasites, and uh, most especially the external parasites that you most often encounter in your veterinary practice. Well, honestly, uh, another note for um, for heat and humidity, um, the sun is a lot stronger down here, and so dogs and cats with uh, with fair skin can get sunburned. And um, I know people don't really think about the dog getting a sunburn, but it certainly can happen. So, and over time, even some can develop skin cancer. As far as parasites, we are in flea and tick epidemic, honestly. We are seeing... I mean, yes, people are using Frontline, people are using Advantage, the usual standbys, but because there is such a problem in the environment, they're much more difficult to control this year. 
And so fleas and ticks are definitely top of the list as far as external parasites are concerned. You will see also intestinal parasites, you know, hookworms, roundworms, and, you know, and those sorts. Certainly, you know, fleas and ticks, people need to be sure they step up the prevention if they're going to come, to come down here in this part of the country. Let's go back just for a second to climate because you had mentioned sunburn. What can we do to protect our pets against those beating down rays of the sun? Well, um, this is going to sound kind of funny. They do actually make uh, dog sunglasses called doggles, D-O-G-G-L-E-S, for animals with fair skin around their eyes. But the most important thing that you can do is keep them out of the sun during the heat of the day. I mean, most of us are not really keen to be outside in the heat during those hours. You know, and and in the early morning and in the early evening, it's not a big deal. But uh, you want to be sure that during those hot hours of the day that they're indoors. So there isn't anything like what a human being would put on in the way of a sunscreen that we can use with our pets. Well, not that I've, you know, not that I've seen very effective. Um, The problem with putting topical medications on dogs and cats is that the first thing to do is lick it off. Right, exactly. I expected you would say that. Yes, you could use the same kinds of things you would use on an infant, basically. If you use um, those sorts of sunscreens, I mean, it's not going to hurt them to put those on the dog and the cat but they tend to groom, groom it right off because, heck, you just put something on them they're not happy with. And so they tend not to be very effective for very long. All right, so let's now then return to our discussion about parasites. You had mentioned fleas and ticks. What are some of the other uh, concerns that you have in the way of external parasites in your part of the country? We are seeing some very severe parasite issues, I mean, to the point of causing severe anemia in some of our patients if flea and tick prevention isn't used. We'll see even large dogs becoming very ill after a severe flea and tick infestation. So it's very important that um, that people are conscientious there. Now, there's also a concern with people. Fleas can spread cat scratch fever to human beings, and ticks can spread some diseases as well. And so... You know, aside from the risk to your pets, there is a risk to people, you know, certainly. Now, what I understand is common perhaps to your part of the country, um, more so obviously than in others, would be something like Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is a tick-borne disease. Could you speak a little more about that? And and as one who, who comes from the eastern part of the country, I know that Lyme disease has been of particular concern there. Could you address that as well? Yeah, um, typically if these are diseases that are spread by ticks, they're called uh, rickettsial diseases, be, you know, basically that whole group of diseases because of the way that they, um, well, because of the way they infect the patient. Typically in San Antonio and in the South Texas, we're seeing ehrlichiosis and we're seeing anaplasmosis as our most common tick-borne diseases. Rocky Mountain spotted fever is one that you see in the central and the southeastern U.S., Lyme disease, we don't see much in this area, but you can see it up in the hill country, which is a little bit north of here, and near King Ranch. And so it's certainly not unheard of to hear of those. Now, as far as symptoms of those, certainly a tick infestation would be one. They can also cause joint pain. They can cause fever. And they can cause a, a, a dog to feel very sick. Now, what about internal parasites? What are you seeing most often in your practice? What, uh, what's presenting itself now? Well, we are seeing both intestinal parasites and we're seeing heartworms. Um, intestinal parasites, hookworms and roundworms are, are certainly the most common. And if, if a dog is on, well, if a dog is on year on heartworm prevention, most of those protect against hookworms and roundworms. Occasionally we'll see whipworms, which are 
Oh, another parasite that lives in the small intestine and can cause some serious health issues. Those are not as common, though. Now, heartworms, it's important to remember in this area of the country, actually the whole Mississippi River Valley, this is a very endemic area, meaning we see a lot of heartworm, in, you know, heartworm infestations. And um, just about every other heartworm in the area is carrying heartworms, so certainly you want to make sure you're on prevention. Now, how are pets treated if they do take in one of these internal parasites? Well, um, for hookworms and roundworms, the uh, the treatment is actually very simple. Um, there are a lot of uh, dewormers, both prescription and over-the-counters, that will take care of that. Whipworms are a little bit more difficult because they stay in the soil for such a long time, and so animals tend to get reinfected with them. And so, you know, those intestinal parasites are actually, they're, you know, yes, they can cause some troubles, but they're not the, they're not the bad ones. Heartworms are a killer. Heartworms are um, expensive and difficult to treat. Now, the American Heartworm Society is recommending when an animal is diagnosed that they have blood work and they have x-rays done to figure out exactly how advanced the infection is, and then they go through a two-month treatment for these heartworms. So it's definitely an ordeal. So much Mm -hmm. easier to prevent. Right, absolutely, absolutely, to make certain that uh, that our pets have received these treatments in advance, the good treatments in advance that mm-hmm. will prevent these things from uh, uh, from posing a problem for them. Well, why don't we move on to wild animals then? What oh, wild <laughs> well, wild <laughs> pose particular dangers in your part of the country? Well, I know in this area of the country, the big concern, I mean, a lot of people are concerned about rattlesnakes or pit vipers. Now, pit vipers are a group of snakes that contain rattlesnakes, copperheads, and also water moccasins, all three of which are available down here, lucky us. And so you're going to want to be very, very careful, especially in the hotter part of the day where you're, you know, where you're taking your dogs out, you know, hiking or swimming. Now... Rattlesnakes are are the worst ones here. Now there are di- definitely different, you know, there are different species of rattlesnakes throughout the country. Some are worse than others. Up north, we don't see the severity of rattlesnake bites, but certainly down here in the in the part of the countries, we we definitely can. Copperheads are not as severe as rattlesnake bites, but we certainly want to see anybody in you know vet clinic if they get a snake bite. Okay, um, these are considered medical emergencies. Coral now, snakes are also around here too. Well, it's my understanding, though, that there are different kinds of bites, different severities of bites, different ways in which a snake will bite. One that oh, one bite that is just a warning that is minus venom, another one that's really a killing bite. The other thing I've also heard is that different seasons of uh, of the year may influence the way in which a snake bites. Could you speak to uh, to those issues as well? Yeah, I mean, there are definitely, um, you know, different severities of bites. There, you know, even as far as where the animal on their body is bitten, there are different, you know, different impacts on that bite. The bite severity differs in how much venom is injected, whether the um, dog had kind of caught the snake in an off moment or whether the snake was actually attacking the dog, whether the bite was, quote-unquote, a dry bite where there's no venom injected. It's very different. Namely, if you see your your dog bitten, you want to get some medical attention for them. Yeah, but there are different species of snakes as far as anti-venom that's out there. The different anti-venoms they're designing now, because this is a big problem, depend on the area of the country that you're in, because there's so much of a difference in areas of the country. As far as where on the body that the dog is bitten, bites to the, like on the face or on the 
tips of the extremities, namely like if your dog is bitten on the nose, because dogs tend to put their nose where they're not, you know, where they're not wanted, or on the feet tend to be less severe than bites that are closer to the body, bites on the chest or bites on the abdomen. You mentioned anti-venom. What is your opinion on uh, pre-treating a dog? I understand that these uh, these vaccinations can slow the spread of venom if the dog is to be uh, to be bitten, and this is, enables you to get the dog perhaps just to have the time to be able to get the dog to the treatment that it needs. Can you speak a little bit about your your recommendations on rattlesnake vaccines? Now, antivenom and rattlesnake vaccines are very different things. Mm-hmm. Antivenom is, I mean, if that happens if you're already bitten. If you have an animal that's bitten, the recommendation, whether it's for a, uh, well, whether it's for a pit viper, typically a rattlesnake, you don't really need antivenom for copperheads, but if, uh, if your dog is bitten by a rattlesnake versus bitten by a, a coral snake, antivenom is after the fact. Evac- the, the rattlesnake vaccine, quote-unquote, is not an antivenom. That is an antibody. What that is supposed to do, according to the manufacturer, is, yeah, kind of limit tissue damage. It's supposed to run interference until you can get the dog to medical attention. It is not a substitute for medical attention, though. I think in an earlier conversation, you just expressed concerns that people would receive this or, you know, perhaps this was in another conversation with someone else, that people are concerned that if an animal is given the vaccine, that folks may become a little bit complacent and think, well, okay, the dog is protected, and then they don't race to get the dog to uh, the veterinarian where they have to have the subsequent treatment. So I don't know if you want to speak to that as well. I do, actually. And and honestly, complacency is a big problem, period. Um, A lot of people are, well, a lot of, I hear from a lot of, and this is kind of, you know, out in the country, they're like, oh, give it a Benadryl, it'll be fine. And sometimes you'll be right. Sometimes those people will not have a problem. But when you're wrong, you're very wrong. I mean, honestly, when my own dog was bitten, he was out hunting with my husband and he was bitten by a rattlesnake that was over six feet long and he was bitten in the chest which is about the worst place you can be they told my husband initially to give him a benadryl because he'd had the rattlesnake vaccine i think he survived to get to a veterinarian but uh despite antivenom we still lost him this is not a place for complacency whether your dog is vaccinated whether you've given it a benadryl and however severe you think the bite is it's time to, to see a vet I'm really grateful that you uh, made that distinction and impressed upon people the importance to not only uh, have this vaccination, but also when you have it, not to fall into this complacent place where you think you're all set and you don't have to receive the subsequent treatment. So it's such a very important thing to, to say. And uh, so sad to hear about your your own dog uh, that oh, um, succumbed to come to uh, to this bite. Well, I understand there are also a variety of other kinds of wildlife down in your part of the country that uh, can also pose problems for our pets. Could you speak to some of those as well? Well, I mean, we do have coral snakes as well as the pit vipers. We do have uh, bufo toads, which are not available everywhere. Those are Definitely a challenge. In the southwestern U.S. and Mexico, we have certain poisonous lizards. We also have spiders that are a concern, and then there are the mammals. We will see feral hogs, coyotes, bobcats, and even birds of prey bothering pets, obviously not mammals. But, um, yes, there have been a chihuahua or two attacked by a hawk. Mm -hmm. And we do have the rabies concern as well because um, we will see 
cases of rabies and wildlife on occasion. So there is definitely a concern with wildlife. And most especially just some of the creatures that we would see all around the country, whether they be bats or skunks or raccoons or foxes, uh-huh. uh, all of these can carry rabies as well, yes? Absolutely, yes. Most states are actually not areas where rabies are a concern. But states that border on Mexico, because there is, in the coyotes that kind of cross over the border back and forth, there is a rabies concern. And so Texas and Mexico, areas that are, you know, that they maybe have wildlife going back and forth, there's an extra concern. So you want to be absolutely certain that your, your dogs and cats are vaccinated. Okay, wonderful. Any other notes on wild things or insects or any of the preceding topics we've uh, touched on in this first half here uh, that you'd want to return to? Well, I would certainly recommend, especially, um, you know, with a lot of the, the wildlife, if you're going hiking or you're going camping, you want to speak with the rangers, the people that work at the whatever park or area, about have there been any extra health concerns? Have there been any snakes that you've seen? Have there been any wildlife that you've seen? I have seen animals injured by just about everything on that list, actually. This past weekend, my, my dog and I went hiking, and, and we were when we checked into the ranger station, we were sure to ask. Well, I was sure to ask. He's not real verbal. I was sure to ask, uh, have you seen snakes? Is there a certain area we should be careful of? You just want to be extra, extra concerned that, you know what? Everything in Texas tends to, well, tends to bite back. So you want to be real careful. Good advice there. Well, let's take a break. And when we return, we'll move on to a discussion of toxins, poisons, against which we must also be vigilant. So please sit, stay. We'll be right back after these messages. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to 1-800-PETMEDS.com forward slash road R-O-A-D to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PETMEDS.com. Whether they're big, small, hairy, or whatever, you're going to need gear for your feet. And Kids Foot Locker's got all the great shoes and gear that'll get you in the game. Go to kidsfootlocker.com and enter the code AFMAC1KF to get 10% off any order of $50 or more. Or enter the code AFMOL2KF to get 15% off any order of $75 or more at kidsfootlocker.com. And cover those funky feet. FTD's network of over 40,000 florists around the world have been creating beautiful handcrafted arrangements for 100 years. 
Each arrangement is delivered the same day and backed by FTD's seven-day satisfaction guarantee. For a century, people have trusted their most important occasions to the flower experts at FTD. Since Pet Life Radio is all about puppy dogs and flowers, our listeners, that's you, can get a 20% discount on your order. Just go to florop.com and use the code LUCKYS20 at checkout. F-L-E-U-R-O-P.com. Code word L-U-C-K-Y-S and the number 20. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets, every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Well, we are back and continuing our chat with Dr. Ray Dishinger, a veterinarian with the Alamo Dog and Cat Hospital in San Antonio, Texas. We focus the first part of our discussion on climate questions and on critters that can present problems for our pets. We turn now to plants, poisons, and any remaining perils that Ray would want us to hear about today. So again, Ray, let's move through our list, beginning this time with plants. So what plants in your region of the country uh, should be of particular concern for pet parents? Well, um, a lot of the quote-unquote toxic plants are common pretty much everywhere. You know, the sago palms and things like that are, a lot of those are ornamental. And so those are not really specific to an area of the country. Um, The ASPCA can actually give you a great list of plants to be careful of. You can get cactus stickers down here, and that is actually a really common problem. I have pulled many a sticker out of many a dog. And so everyone should, actually I've pulled many a sticker out of myself. Everyone should be careful where they're walking, but um, a lot of the, the plants themselves are uh, are not, you know, the ones that are really common to this area. The ski thorns, though, and cactus stickers are uh, are pretty common problems, though. As far as poisons, are there particular poisons that pets may encounter in your part of the world? And when is it that we call poison control? When do we try to handle it ourselves, and when do we call poison control? Well, again, a lot of the poisons that we run into are not endemic right here. When the weather is getting warmer, you will have an increased risk with antifreeze. As far as when do you call any, you know, poison control with an antifreeze concern, you take your dog to the vet with antifreeze. That one um, is extremely dangerous. If you even catch your dog with his, you know, tongue, like licking the antifreeze, pick the dog up, take him to the vet. That is extremely dangerous extremely quickly. Um, also, as weather gets warm, people tend to also be using rat bait. That also tends to happen in the winter. Again, there's not a that's not a handle it yourself one. If you catch your animal with rat poison or suspect they may have eaten rat poison, you want to take them take them on in right away. But there are a couple of uh, poison control numbers. If you think your animal may have gotten into prescription medicines, or you think your animal may have gotten into well anything that you're honestly any chemical. 
it's, it's best to give them a call. It's it's really not a, an area you where you want to wait and see. So if you don't have a veterinarian you can reach, there are a, there are a few poison helplines available. Sharon Gwaltney Brandt in the first episode in the series had noted uh, two numbers that uh, that we can call. One thing that she had most especially stressed is that people should not call human poison control numbers. Oh. They should make certain no that they're calling kidding, yes. yes, that they're calling it's pet. Very poison. true. Frequently, if you call human poison control, they'll tell you they don't know, and that's true. I mean, all species are different. We are all different in how we we break down medications and how we we process anything that comes into our body, and so. You want to be sure if it's an animal concern, you're calling an animal poison control. And I think we really should mention again what two of those numbers are. The first one is the uh, ASPCA's Poison Control Center number, uh, 888-426-4435, and the Pet Poison Helpline, which is uh, 800-213-6680. You had noted in a conversation that we had prior to today's show that in general, people should also be aware that sometimes a change in water supply may trigger diarrhea in dogs and cats and and that if at all possible, folks should try to know where the nearest emergency clinic may be found before an emergency arises. Do you have any final warnings or suggestions, ideas or thoughts that you'd like to share as we close out our time together? Yeah, the issue with the diarrhea, if there is filtered water, um, frequently people travel with water, that is generally fine for them. Um, It's just that, you know, if they do tend to drink out of strange sources, you will see loose stool sometimes. That is, um, I mean, if that is ever severe or bloody, they should see a veterinarian. As far as um, planning ahead and knowing where the nearest emergency clinic is, that's, I mean, that that is good sense. Whether or not it's a quote-unquote emergency clinic that is a critical care center that's 24 hours a day or whether it's a veterinarian who is just on call in that area. When you're traveling to an area you're not familiar with, it's best to have have looked ahead and you can find a lot of this information online or even in the yellow pages. Anything else you'd want to share with us as we we end today? Um, Well, if there's anything else you think anybody would uh, would need to know, that's about it. Thank you so much, Ray, for being with us today. Thank you for sharing such critically important information with us. If any of our listeners have questions or comments about today's show, I'd invite you to email me at the address you'll find on Pet Life Radio. And as always, I hope you'll join us next time as we head out on the road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.